the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. And today we have David Ruddick, who is a cybersecurity expert on the show. Welcome, David. Hey, Meryl. How are you doing? Great, thanks. And so great to talk to you. I know we met a couple of years ago now in a BNI group and we've stayed in touch and I know I've tracked some of the things that you've been up to on LinkedIn. And it's great to, to have you on the show and to have a chat. Before before we get into cybersecurity, do you want to just tell our audience a little bit about who you are in the business that you run? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was, I was going to interject and say, yes, I've been stalking you on LinkedIn as well and you've been doing some amazing things. But um, yeah, um, so I started the business uh, 18 years ago. Um, I was 22 at the time, and and literally it was it was a, you know, I, I just started doing IT support for a company. Um, but about seven years ago, we nearly lost the business. Um, and I went to a business coach, and she said, you know, you need to focus on what you're really good at, and um, and use that as as your niche or your calling card. And and she said, you know. For those clients who really value you or really looking for what you're looking for, for what you do, um, that will have value for you. And um, we'd always been very security conscious. It was just the way we were wired. Um, I may have done some silly things um, during my youth, um, and that's a topic for another time. And so we started doubling down on cybersecurity. Um, we saw it as a growing problem. And then uh, sort of late last year, the Australian Computer Society thought we were doing a very good job because we were training all of our technicians in privacy law and cybersecurity and information security, and we won an award for that, um, a small skills transformation for a team. And then I was uh, I was interviewed for the Australian Financial Review off the back of that, and I made a comment that I couldn't see insurance companies uh, continue to pay out on, on claims if businesses were being negligent. And um, long story short, we're now engaged by one of the insurance underwriters uh, to provide incident response or cyber incident response to their Australian um, insured. So it's uh, it's been a very interesting uh, ride, but, um, yeah, it's been awesome at the same time. And that sounds like a fantastic opportunity with the, ins- the insurance side of things. I'd like to dig a little bit into your business story as well. And so you talked about some ups and downs and, and also taking the business in a different direction. And at Bean Ninjas, we really believe in finding a niche. And for us, that's bookkeeping and financial reporting and also finding market segments within that to focus on. And I heard that you mentioned that in, in your own business journey and that you worked out what you were good at and then decided to really focus on that and you've done really well at building your profile as an expert and a cyber security expert. So what are some of the things that you've learned along the way in growing your business and what does your business and and your team look like these days? Sure. Um, I think like all of us, when you start out in business, you think you've got to take on everything um, if it's got a pulse um, because it brings money in the door, but it it leaves you so... Um, fragmented you know you're spread between so many things and I had a web development team at one point Um, you know we we were traditionally an IT support shop um, but we were doing everything you know that would 
potentially bring business in and you you end up really spread thin and um if i had a business coach turn to me and say um if you look at your gp uh and you go see them and it might be 55 or 60 bucks for a consult and let's say that consult's 15 minutes so they're turning over maybe 300 dollars an hour um then you look at your specialist and you know whether it's an eye doctor or um uh, oncologist, all that sort of stuff, and they're probably charging $3,000 an hour. And the GP knows a little bit about everything, but the specialist knows a lot about one thing. And I guess that's kind of the same when it comes to, to business. You, you can be a jack of all trades, but you end up being very, very, you're a commodity, let's put it that way. Um, whereas if you focus down on some, on something and, and really master it, uh, then the people who who value that skill that you have um, will seek you out and and will be prepared to pay uh, you know a, a premium for that because you are the I don't like the word expert but I like um, evangelist but because um, there's much more into- intelligent people than me out there but you 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 know it well enough that you can you can really do some good um, I, I've now got. We went up to 12 staff at one stage before we nearly lost the business. We then rebuilt it with three. Uh, we're back to seven. Um, and I now have an IT services arm, which is the traditional thing we always did. And we've built out a cyber incident response slash digital forensics um, team as well, uh, which has been really cool because it's it's a new challenge. And uh, um I think our past understanding of small business technology has really helped us understand the, you know, the incident response slash forensic side of it because the bigger firms like KPMG and that, they're not used to dealing with, you know, the small to medium business market like we are. Yeah, and I think that's a really nice lead into the cybersecurity conversation. But the first question that I wanted to ask you is, can you give us some examples of where you've seen things go wrong for businesses? So whether they've had some kind of threat, they've had data loss issues, and are there anything? Is there anything that they could have done to prevent this as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, look, the, the, there's a couple of categories that we're seeing at the moment as, as the main um, outcomes, I guess you'd call it, um, of a cyber attack. Uh, the main reason that people are actually uh, calling on their policy. Um, the biggest one is, is, you know, phishing emails that go around uh, that trick someone into entering in their email credentials. Uh, and we're seeing a large amount of what's called business email compromise or BEC. Uh, and basically what it is, is uh, someone in your staff uh, either falls for a phishing attack and enters in their email credentials or they're, they're reusing their password um, on multiple sites and one of the sites that they use gets hacked and their password gets um, exposed. And as a byproduct, the intruder gains access to the mailbox and will typically sit in that mailbox for about three months. Um, they'll look for invoices and payment information and they're, they, they're trying to work out who the players are in the business, who's responsible for authorising payments, who's responsible for making payments and we had a, a business uh, a couple of months brought a couple of months back brought to us. Um, the financial controller's email account had got hacked uh, at a point in time where they were about to transfer money to an overseas investor, 
uh, the intruders interjected in the conversation and suddenly uh, rewired the the money to their own account um, by saying this is you know this is our account details please transfer it here uh, and that was to the tune of six hundred thousand uh, dollars. We saw another one just recently, same mo, but uh, in this particular case, the mailbox they'd hacked didn't have any financial um, workflow attached to it. And so they then used that mailbox to then send another phishing campaign to everyone who, you know, was a regular contact of that mailbox. And you might think, well, that's a bit silly, but um, when we send emails to each other, there's a level of trust implied with someone's name. So if you're getting it from someone you normally would trust, there's a higher chance you'll open it. Um, the other one we're seeing a lot of is uh, when people do actually have remote desktop servers, you know, like remote access systems, um, they're getting hacked and uh, data's getting exfiltrated or stolen uh, and then ransomware's getting run on the systems and it's at that point that a lot of businesses are learning how, uh, how bad their backup strategy was. Gee, so some of these things are a scary situation that sounds like it could happen to you or, or someone in your business. And I reckon the, the first example that you talked about, I've actually had colleagues that have spoken to me where they've received emails that were supposedly from the CEO or directors asking them to organise payments and it just sounded a bit sus. And in, in both of the cases that I can think of, they actually flagged it and then sent a text to the director or the CEO just to confirm, do you actually want me to make this transfer? And that's when they realised that the email had been hacked. But in, in the cases that you've described, is there anything that these businesses could have done differently to prevent these situations? Yeah, look, 100%. Um, so number one, uh, and I know everyone who uses Zero, you sh- uh, just recently got um, forced to do this, um, enable multi-factor authentication or second-factor authentication on your emails. Um, enable it on anything you can um, because it significantly reduces the chance that that account will be compromised because you need more than just username and password. Um, the other thing as well, before you make any payment, you respond to any email, pick up the phone. Um, takes 30 seconds to call someone and say, hey, did you send this? Uh, I am a adverse to using SMS or to emailing, definitely don't email them back because it's probably the intruder, but uh, it is actually not that hard to uh, to steal someone's mobile number and, and you know, essentially get in on the communication as well. So I always say, look, just pick up the phone. Um, the other one that we see a lot of is, is the sort of the invoice scams that come across on the same way. Uh, if you always pay your accounts based off what's in the accounting system. So you should have, you know, your vendors, uh, bank account details stored in your accounting system so you can do your automatic transfers. Uh, if you get an invoice with some from someone with a new BSB and account number, uh, give them a call. You know, have you changed your bank account details? I would try and insist that they send you on letterhead that they've changed their bank account details. And if you get an email or a letterhead, that sends you those details saying, you know, we've adjusted our bank account, still call them. Hey, we got this from you. We just wanted to confirm that, you know, this is all okay. Um, because what we're seeing, I guess what people don't understand is the people who are doing these things, it's organised crime. Uh, 80% of it comes from organised crime. And you've got to think of a business, you know, even what you're doing, Marilyn, you, you and the team have really... Uh, 
focused in on what you're doing, um, you've got a team of people who are doing audio editing for you and you've got a team of people who are doing marketing and you've got a team of people who are doing book work. These guys are compartmentalised. They've got uh, teams of people who specialise in various aspects of cybercrime. Um, they're very, very good and they're constantly refining their method uh, so that they can try and trick more people into doing it. So um, we need to be more vigilant and not as lazy because that's how they're tricking us occasionally. And, yeah, like I said, just pick up the phone and call someone and say, hey, I got this from you. Is it legit? So you've made a couple of great points there and a couple of things that I'm hearing are that you're not just dealing with one person. These are organised professionals that are trying to to take information and, and not do the right thing with it. And then the other was really to pick up the phone and, and have those conversations and double check. And in terms of business owners who have a team of staff, are there any advice that you can, was there any advice that you have for the business owner around educating their team with things that they could be doing to protect their own data and the business data? Uh, yeah, I mean, the challenge, the challenge is twofold. One, um, there is a stigmata that if you put your hand up and say, hey, I, I think I've clicked on something or um, I may have done something that has caused problems that I'm going to get into a lot of problems. Um, someone's going to get upset with me. We've got to break that uh, because you, you want your staff to quickly come to you and say, hey, look, I think I've clicked on something so that you can um, take action if, if necessary. And, and so that's the first thing is to create a culture where um, it's acceptable to say, hey, I think I've been scammed. The second one is, is getting staff on board with the fact that um, they are the uh, defenders of your business information and your customer information and if the business does enforce some sort of security policies it's not because we're trying to be totalitarian and, and, and uh, disadvantage staff from sitting on Facebook or whatever the hell it is um, but it's really to try and strengthen the security posture of the business um, but likewise uh, if you make if you make the task of doing someone's job more difficult they'll find a way to work around it so you can't implement security controls um, that really are, uh, you know, slowing the workflow of the business down. Um, but also vet your staff, vet your vendors. Um, all of our staff have police background checks uh, annually. Um, you know, we, we say to them that we'll do drug checks and all these other things as well. Um, but your vendors, uh, you know, I just read an article, uh, US CERT, um, Cyber Emergency Response Team, um, has notified people in America that they're managed service providers, so people like myself who, who provide IT services or manage other people's IT systems are now a major target. So if you're not vetting the companies you use who may have access to your systems, you're probably also setting yourself up for a potential attack. That's a great point too. That's actually something we talk about with bookkeeping clients. If they're choosing between using a freelancer on Upwork or using a company like Beaminges, we actually talk about that and the security measures that bigger businesses, I mean, we're still a tiny business, but but that a, a business with a number of staff, the controls that they can have in place and the background checks and, and security. And so I think you've made a great point around looking at your vendors too and, and actually thinking that they might actually be a way into your business. 
Oh, 100%. But you can be a small business. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. Um, as I was talking to you about it uh, just before the, the, the pod that we started recording, um, we did a, a security assessment for a law firm who is totally cloud-based. Um, they have no staff. They have no offices. Um, they have about 20 staff in Australia, about the same amount of staff in the Philippines, uh, about half a dozen in India, et cetera, et cetera. And they asked us to do a security assessment. And I, I thought the biggest problem was going to be their staff in the Philippines, in India. Um, and I learned, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners and yourself know, that a lot of the facilities that you use over there are biometrically um, secure. They have cameras on everything. Computers are locked down. And so our, our risk, the risk profile that we created for them was minimal when they're working at the facility. But... Um, it was actually when the staff, the offshore staff are home and they access the system or the Australian staff who were just accessing it from any laptop that we started to actually get quite worried. And so coming back to your point, if the business, you could have a business with 50 staff who just don't care about security and you could have a business with five staff who have made, you know, uh, the trust uh is so important to them that they've invested in the right things and that doesn't have to be expensive. And you end up with, you know, bean ninjas who actually care about their customers so much that they've implemented the right things, they do all the, the, the proper checks versus whether it's someone from, as you said, one of the, those websites or even a big firm who everyone's just a number um, and they really haven't taken the, the care to assess are we doing everything right for our customers? And we put too much trust in our vendors and uh, we're starting to see when, when when our customers come to us and do what we call a cyber health check and we give them a templated email to send to their various software vendors, et cetera, and ask things like, so, you know, do you audit access and how is our data encrypted and how do you back it up? And if, if we part ways, what happens to our data? And the answers they're getting back, if if they get answers, um, is sometimes quite alarming. Mm. And do you have any specific tips for cloud-based businesses? You mentioned the law firm, and I think a lot of our listeners are running cloud-based businesses where they might not have a server and one particular office, and so there may or may not be different risks associated to those kind of businesses. So I wanted to see whether you had any thoughts or comments around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and again, coming back to this particular firm that we, we audited, we learned a lot out of that. Um, so to sort of touch on it for those that don't understand, in, in a typical business, you know, up until about five years ago, we'd have a server and the server did all the authentication. So it had the user accounts, it signed people on, it had their passwords, it would say you could access this folder and this printer, but not this one. And because of the way that sort of cloud technologies and mobile devices have evolved, we don't have that as much anymore, and, and it's great, you know, um, just like your business. It can operate from anywhere, uh, but we end up with all this, all, all these disparate systems that aren't interconnected. There's no central uh, um, uh, source of truth as far as the uh, user accounts are concerned, and, and that creates a big problem. And there's a thing called, or there's a technology called an IAM, um, which is Identity Access Management Platform. And the whole idea of an IAM is to tie all those things together so you end up with an authentication source 
Uh, and a really easy, simple example of that is um, Microsoft's Office 365 integrates with their Azure um, Active Directory. And with it, you can actually have, if you're a PC person, I think you're a Mac person from memory, um, but um, you can have their Windows 10 computer will authenticate with a cloud source. And once it's authenticated with that cloud source, it will sign them into Office 365. And then you can have it sign them into Zero, and you can have it sign them into NetDocs or whatever the other platforms are so that everything's controlled. You have a new staff member come along, um, depending on the technology, you can create the account and it will provision the services for them that they need. You cancel a, a, a staff member because they leave or you terminate them and it can automatically lock all them down too. So, um, yeah, the IAM is is kind of the future of, I guess, interconnected platforms um, and it'd be something that uh, depending on the size of the business and, and how many systems they use and how many staff they have, I, I would strongly recommend looking into. Yeah, that's a, a great tip. And I hadn't actually heard of an IAM before, so that's something after the podcast I'm going to sit down and do some research on. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, I've got just a, a list of different things that I wanted to ask you questions on. So we'll do this as just a, a small number of topics, sort of rapid fire. So there's about uh, five to ten of them. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on, first of all, passwords. And if you have any tips around creating passwords, storing passwords, apps, anything related to passwords. Sure. Um, user password manager. Uh, I love LastPass, L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S. Um, I believe they came up with that name because it's the last pass you'll, uh, last password you'll ever need to remember. Um, but there are others, Dashlane, one password, et cetera. Um, you need 12 to 14 digits at least for passwords. They need to be complex and you need to not use the same password on every website you use. And unfortunately, it's no longer um, really advisable to use a pattern for passwords because if um, if there's enough data breaches, uh, they can discern your pattern by looking at you know the data from various systems that got hacked. Um, and also sign up to Have I Been Pwned, which is H-A-V-E-I-P-W-N-E-D.com. Um, I think I missed a bean in there. But anyway, uh, if you go there, it's a free service. You enter your email address and it will notify you if uh, if your webs, if your email address has turned up in a data breach so that you can go and change the account. Great. We'll add a link to that in the show notes as well so you can go and check. And I think I've, I've actually used that website previously. And I think it was LinkedIn. It was one of the, the major websites that had a breach years ago, and I think, an old email address of mine came up, which was a really good reminder for me to actually go and change passwords to something that was more secure. So the next one on the list is laptop or desktop security. Any tips around that? Um, like I said, for, um, for Windows-based devices, if you haven't got a server, um, have a look into uh, Azure AD Premium. Um, if you're Mac-based, uh, there are other technology technologies as well. Uh, there's also um, Okta, O-K-T-A, and one login that do all those sort of things. Um, if you're storing any sort of personally identifiable information, uh, anything from tax file numbers, date of births, Medicare details, PAYG detail, details, all that sort of stuff, um, most modern operating systems, OS X, Mac, and Windows um, have uh, built-in full disk encryption. Uh, and I would enable that 
uh, and make sure you've got a password on your computer. Uh, in fact, I'll go one step further. Have a look into a YubiKey, Y-U-B-I-K-E-Y, which are these really cool little USB keys that you can use to authenticate yourself with your computer. And, uh, yeah, it makes password security so easily, so easy, words. Fantastic. All right, next up is around antivirus and whether you have any recommendations around that. Yeah, look, that, that that's always an interesting conversation. Um, antivirus has got to a point now where AV is kind of dead. Um, it's now more along the lines of machine learning and behavioural an- analytics and pretty much every vendor does have a good solution. Um, we use Sophos. Uh, it's just... We, we've done a, a number of um, proof of concepts with various vendors and so fast for us was, was the best, but I'm not saying that that's the best for everyone. Um, you still need to have it. It's kind of like why most people still get flu shots every year. Uh, but most, the, the challenge you are facing is that most adversaries now will generate a new version of the malware before they start their campaign. So you are dealing with uh, malware that is only maybe an hour old, and most common antivirus programs have no chance of stopping that. Right. So it's still something that we need, but it may not protect against the more advanced hackers that are out there these days. Yeah, correct. So um, some of the new ransomware and stuff, it, it probably won't de- um, detect, but it'll at least stop you from the older stuff or stuff that's sort of lingering around. Excellent. So as a business owner... If I was thinking about trying to protect the, the business from a cyber attack, is there anything in terms of regular IT maintenance that I would need? Um, and if I was to engage someone, what kind of questions would I ask to make sure that I was getting a good service or the right fit for, the, for my size of business? Yeah, look, um, it, there's two sides to that coin. One is um, everything proactive that can be done and it, We've been beating this drum for forever, but, um, you know, software updates. Um, you can't run a version of whatever application it is that's five years old. Um, stop using the old version of Myob that you had. Um, if you're still using Windows 95, please, 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 please upgrade, actually, Windows XP. But um, so maintenance on software, maintenance on third-party apps, Firefox, Chrome, Myob, QuickBooks, etc., cetera, um, and backup. And having the backup tested is probably the most important thing because um, a lot of businesses, they, 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 there's still a mindset that if I buy a backup system from someone, I pay them to set it up, that's all I need. Um, and then six to 12 months later, they have an event and the, the backup's not working and it's because no one's maintaining it. Um, you got to look at it like a car. If you bought a car and did nothing to it, no maintenance, no servicing, et cetera, um, you're either going to end up with ball ties or uh, you're going to blow your engine. Um, your backup system, your computers, they are machines. They've got moving parts, even if it's ones and zeros. And you've got to you've got to invest in some level of maintenance, but also check, do spot checks on your IT people. Um, whether that's um, just saying to them, "Hey, can you can you show me proof that the last backup you tested within the last month worked?" And a screenshot is usually all you need. Um, or bring in someone independently once a year or every couple of years just to do a paid independent assessment, um, not because you want to kick them out, but just because you want to do, do your due, uh, due diligence. Uh, 
and I use this quite a lot, but when you have a problem, when you actually have a cyber attack, are your customers going to blame you or the IT guy? Yeah, that is such a great point. And ultimately, everything's on you as, as the business owner. And I like the analogy you made around having a car as well and you wouldn't just buy it and, and not do any maintenance for 10 years and expect it to run smoothly. So it sounds like it's something that you need to stay on top of. And, and Yeah. And what's related to backups and data recovery plans, what are your thoughts on that when it comes to cloud businesses? Because some people might argue, well, it's already in the cloud, it's secure, do I need an extra backup? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so the cloud isn't automatically a backup system, and, and that's another thing. Even though you've shifted responsibility of certain aspects, so you no longer have to have a server, you no longer have to update the software with these um, SaaS software as, as a service sort of cloud platforms, um, they will be doing their own backup, and I would definitely recommend going to the page that tells you how they protect your data, how they back it up, what their disaster recovery plan is, what their security is, et cetera, and understanding it as much as you can to make sure that they're doing the right thing by you. Um, but again, what happens if uh, what happens if suddenly that business goes bankrupt? Um, so maybe once a month, let's talk zero. Zero's got, a, last time I checked, a really good backup strategy that they talk about. But if zero did go under for whatever reason or zero got breached for whatever reason and suddenly you don't have access to your accounts, what would you do? Um, and you need to have strategies in place for business continuity for everything that you do, um, even down to businesses that run in bricks and mortar. You know, where are you going to set up shop again? Uh, so you need to go through things like your CRM, your zero accounting, whatever it is, and maybe once a month print, print off um, reports, et cetera, that would at least give you the ability to uh, continue operations, even if it was hobbling, um, in a new piece of software, a new location. Uh, for certain services like uh, OneDrive and Office 365 and even um, Google G Suite, uh, you can get third-party backup solutions. And uh, you might think, oh, who cares? You know, if I if I delete, if someone deletes stuff in their mailbox, that's fine. Um, but we've got legal clients who, you know, before a staff member is going to uh, leave, they delete everything in their mailbox and then they go on and, do whatever, uh, and what happens if somewhere down the track someone calls you up and says, your guy said this and you've got nothing to prove it. Uh, if you're backing up that mailbox or OneDrive or whatever it is, you can at least restore it irrespective of what that employee does. Uh, so, yeah, in summary, the cloud is not a backup. Find out how you can implement, whether it's manual or a technological uh, backup solution so that if the worst happens, you've got a business continuity strategy. Yeah, you've made some great points there. And I think business continu continuity planning is important and maybe not something that businesses in their first or second year would be thinking about. But I think they are sometimes we're in those early years of business, we're busy thinking about sales and growth and not necessarily about business risks. But I think even if you can do that on a small scale to think about what are the key risks and how would you continue operating and have some kind of plan in place for that, then your business has a much greater chance of surviving long term. So oh, 100%. My last question related to this specific security topic was around email security. And I know we've talked about this 
throughout the podcast, but I was wondering if you had any final tips around email security and what staff members could do to prevent any breaches there. Um, it's, it comes down to both user education um, and, like I said before, you know, making it acceptable for people to report and feel comfortable in doing so. Um, the other side of it too is, A, if you're running an up-to-date version, like if you're using Office 365, they're constantly rolling in new um, security features. Uh, if you're on the cheapest plan, I don't think you get all of them. Uh, so sometimes you've got you to pony up and pay a little bit more and, and get a good email filter as well that, um, you know, it doesn't just filter spam. It, it also looks at, uh, you know, the URLs that are in the email and the attachments that are in the email and, and tries to, what they call, they explode it in a, in a sandbox to see whether or not it's malicious. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, as I said before, we're dealing with very organised um, criminals. They are very, very intelligent. They, their tradecraft gets better and better. And uh, at some point in time, we are all very, very busy. Things are going off all around us. And all it takes is the, um, you know, getting the wrong thing at the right time. You click on it and you're done. So, um you can only take so many measures to prevent against it. Um, make sure you've got uh, a good either backup strategy or um, a disaster recovery strategy in place and uh, cyber risk insurance as well. If you're dealing with any sort of um, PII, personally, personally identifiable information or personal health information, PHI, um, make sure you've got a policy that covers at least a million dollars because um, we've had a couple of cyber breaches that we've dealt with where there was a need to notify under the uh, notifiable data breach laws and it's cost several hundred thousand dollars by the time you've dealt with uh, incident response, digital forensics, lawyers, uh, a PR team to craft the narrative of how you're going to communicate to your customers, uh, the communication strategy, whether that's SMS, email or letters, a call centre to field requests from aggrieved customers, um, you know, I, the list goes on when you start to think about it. And I used to think cyber risk insurance was um, was a bit of a cop-out and I couldn't see the reason for it. And the more that we do in the cyber uh, insurance side of things, the more I see the value in, in having a good cyber policy. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think you've shared a wealth of information and I know I've certainly got some things to go away and think about after this episode, and I feel like our audience will too. Did you have any parting <laughs> words or final tips that you wanted to share with everyone? Um, look, I, I know you'll put them in the show notes, but uh, as I said before, multi-factor on everything you can turn on, um, long, complex passwords, use a password manager, make sure you've got a good backup, um, make sure it's checked regularly, and uh, get yourself some cyber insurance. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and let's not leave it two years until next time we chat. <laughs> well, you're on the Gold Coast, so we should uh, we should probably catch up for a coffee at some stage. So there you go. Absolutely. You're on. Cool, mate. <laughs>